I want to talk to you this morning about a subject that's near and dear to my heart. And I think it is yours. If it's not, I hope it will be. I want to discuss this morning with you, who is Jesus? I hope to answer three questions. I want to know, who was Jesus? Who did Jesus say he was? But most importantly, who is Jesus to you? That's the most important question we'll discuss this morning. I want to turn to Matthew, the 27th chapter and the 11th verse. In the honor of the reading of the word this morning, would you all stand with me? Continue standing. Jesus had been arrested and he had appeared before Pilate. It says, Now Jesus stood before the governor. And by the way, Pilate was the governor of Judea. He had the full backing of Rome, the full power of Rome. When he asked this question of Jesus, he held Jesus' life in the palm of his hands, he thought. And he asked this question, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. You would bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning. We thank you for this calling. God, we praise you for the opportunity to speak your word. We pray, dear Lord, that you would open the ears, the hearts, the minds, and souls of the people. We pray, dear Lord, that you would take this poor stammering tongue and speak what you would have us to hear. Nothing more, nothing less. We give you the praise and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I can only imagine what must have went through Jesus' mind when Pilate asked this question. Totally conjecture on my part, okay? The Bible doesn't tell us. But I can only imagine that when Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus could have only thought, what a foolish question. He was there when God spoke the universe into existence. He was there when Satan, Lucifer, decided he was too big for his riches and he was going to take over heaven. What happened? Jesus, the commander of the Lord's army, would have led that fight and drove Lucifer and a third of the angels out of heaven. He, He was there. He was there when Darkness and light became separate. He was there when this earth was changed from void to something. He was there when land and water was separated. He was there when Adam was created. He was also there when Adam fell. And Pilate asked him the silly question, Who are you? The first time that we see Jesus actually in the Bible mentioned is in Genesis 16. And I'm going to hit a bunch of them. I won't even give you the verses, but it's in chapter 16. Jesus appeared to Hagar. She was running from Sarah. Sarah was mistreating her because there was a a fuss. They had two women in the same house. That's going to always be a problem. (laughs) But Hagar said this. She said, After Jesus came down and met with her, he 
he, uh, he instructed her to go back and what to do. She said, this is the Lord who sees me. Can I tell you in your toughest times, Jesus is the Lord that sees you. He'll be there. Thank you. <laughs> in Genesis 22, Jesus appears to Abraham as he's drawn his sword back to sacrifice his son. See, Abraham made one mistake, and he learned from it. The next time the Lord told him to do something, he did it without thinking. He made it so far as to have Isaac on the altar ready to kill him. Jesus stopped his hand, supplied the sacrifice, and then blessed him. Why did he bless him? Because he did not withhold his son. That's why he blessed him. Jesus was there. Genesis 32 Jacob wrestled with Jesus all night. Jesus was there. Wrestled with him all night. In fact, Jacob named the place Penuel. And I probably pronounced it wrong, but there was a bunch of pronunciations. He said, For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Let me tell you something. You come face to face. You wrestle with God. You spend time with God. You get things right. See, Jacob had to admit who he was to God. You, you get a good look at yourself. You admit who you are. God will change your life. You'll, you'll, Jacob never took another step after that night without being reminded of his, his night spent with God. He knew who he was, knew who he had been. He wasn't the same man. He never walked the same. He never followed the same paths after that. He was a changed man. Exodus 3. Jesus appeared to Moses in the burning bush, told him to take off his shoes. He was on holy ground. And then he called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. Did some amazing things to a man who had already done some terrible things. Hey, it doesn't matter how far you've been. And you may be on the backside of the uh, desert. The Lord knows where you're at. He'll find you. Move on. Judges 13. Jesus appeared to Samson's father, Manoah, and his mother. See, they had no children. We just think of Samson. You remember that? It was miraculous. Jesus appeared to uh, Manoah, his wife. He spent time with them. He told them how he wanted the, uh, Samson to be raised, what needed to be done. He spent time with this couple, and then he gave them Samson. But when he told them that, they asked him, who are you? What's your name? You know what he told them? My name is Wonderful. Does that describe Jesus? Yeah. I, how, I, can't think of, I can't think of other adjectives. I can't think of anything else that explains Jesus and who he is better than the name Wonderful. Yeah. That's who he said he was. Not only that, when they then offered a sacrifice with Jesus there. What's he do? He ascends up through the fire to heaven. He blessed their sacrifice and gave them a son, one that they didn't have. Joshua 5. Joshua was near Jericho. He had led the children of Israel across the Jordan and was preparing to take Jericho. The problem was he didn't have the wherewithal to do it. There was huge high walls. I've studied it. I've shared that here with you one night. Joshua and the children of Israel were not going to take Jericho. Not even a chance of it. He was suddenly confronted by...
by a man with a sword drawn. And he asked the man, are you for us or are you against us? That answer really wasn't given other than a no. But, this is what Jesus said, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. It doesn't matter if it's three days late. When Jesus shows up, it's right on time. He was here. He, he sh- when he got there, the battle suddenly changed. They didn't even need swords. They weren't going to be able to knock those walls down. But when Jesus shows up, he is the commander. You know, knocking down the walls of Jericho was not a big deal. He'd already cast Satan and a third of the angels out of heaven. He'd led that, all, that fight. He, he was kind of already uh, seasoned, I think we could say. The next time uh, we see uh, Jesus in 1 Kings 19, Jesus, the angel of the Lord, fed Elijah while he was hiding from Jezebel. Elijah had just, first of all, he had started, what was it, a three-year drought? And then he had kind of hit out. He had gone back, offered a sacrifice to God, prayed a, I believe a 63-word prayer. And suddenly there was a flood. He also killed 400 uh, Baal prophets. Out uh, Along the way, by the way, he outran the horses down the mountain to get away from the rain. And then ran and hid from a woman. The queen. She, demand, she said, I'm going to kill you. And he ran and hid. But I want you to get this. In Elijah's deepest, darkest hour, the hour he was the most afraid, he was scared. He wasn't out glorifying God. He was hiding in a cave. Who shows up on the scene but Jesus? And he feeds him. And he comforts him. And he takes Listen, I've been in those caves. And you all probably have too. I can tell you right now, Jesus shows up. Every now and then, he'll just open it up. He'll let you know he's there. He's taking care of you. I've been there. I've lived that. In Isaiah 63, it says, The angel of his presence, I want you to get this, the angel of his presence loved them in pity, and he bore them, and he carried them. What he's talking about right there is about the children of Israel when they were making the exodus out of Egypt. Pharaoh had been through the ten ten plagues. They had come out of Egypt. Jesus was in a pillar of fire and smoke by day and by night, took care of his people, protected them, kept the army from being able to get to them, led the way. By the way, when they got to the Red Sea, it was really no big deal. The commander of the Lord's army blows back the waters. What a big deal. After all he had already done, and he led them across. But not only that, as the commander of the Lord's army, he went ahead and took care of Pharaoh's army while he was at it and delivered the children of Israel. There wasn't any following it. He destroyed the enemy. Jesus was there. In Daniel 3, we see the three Hebrew children. They stood for what was right. They didn't bow a knee. They stood up to a king of all things. You don't stand up to a king. You certainly didn't stand up to King Nebuchadnezzar. But they stood up to him. They didn't bow down. He had his furnaces heated seven times hotter than they had ever been heated. And he recruited 
men of valor, men who were willing to die for him, and they did that day, throwing the three Hebrew children. Okay, but the three Hebrew children are thrown in, and even wicked King Nebuchadnezzar could recognize the Son of God when he showed up on the scene. I'll tell you what, when God shows up on the scene, you'll recognize him. The world will too, by the way. We see in chapter 6 of Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. Here again, Daniel standing up for what was right, standing up for God. It was custom to open the windows and pray towards Jerusalem. He, Daniel, had made enemies. Why? Doing the right thing. What happens? They get the king to decree that you can't pray to anybody else for 30 days. That didn't stop Daniel. He wasn't backing down. He loved the Lord. He trusted the Lord. And you see this as a theme as he followed through with the Lord. On, or as you see people follow through with the Lord. It's faith. It's obedience. And God shows up and he honors those things. And that's exactly what he did with Daniel. The king didn't want to, but they threw Daniel in the lion's den. The king jumped up the next morning, first thing, ran down there, hollered down at Daniel. And old Daniel, he probably, you know what, Daniel, I wonder, did Daniel hope maybe that evening, was that night was never going to end? Because think about this. Daniel told the king this. My God sent his angel. In the Old Testament, when he refers to the angel of God, he's talking about Jesus. Daniel just spent the night with Jesus. That's incredible. Jesus spent the night in the lion's den. I want to point out something. Jesus didn't come down and get Daniel out of the lion's den. He came down and got in the lion's den with Daniel. He shut the lion's den. He may not remove you from his mat, your mess, but he will protect you. He'll take care of you. He will see you through. In Psalms 34, David said, The angel of the Lord encampus all around those who fear him, and he delivers them. That's not just in front, leading. It's not just behind, bringing up the rear. That's all the way around. He takes care of those who fear him. He's talking about obedience. In Psalms 35, he is the avenger of his people. I know we, there's movies about the avengers out right now. They're wimps. We're talking about the commander of the Lord's army, okay? They wouldn't hold a candle to the avenger of his people. He takes care of his own. We fast forward to Jesus' miracle birth. We're talking about a man and what possibly was running through his mind. And Pilate asked him, who are you? And he could think back over all these things. How do you explain that? In a couple of sentences. Pilate didn't want to hear it. Then there was Jesus' miracle birth. He came. Talking about the commander of the Lord's army. Part of the Trinity. And he laid all of that aside. And came to Bethlehem. Judea and was born as a babe in a manger. I believe he came for three reasons. We could break it out into a lot more, but I believe Jesus came for three reasons. One, he came to pay our sin debt. He came to pay the price for our He came to be our salvation. It was nothing. We couldn't pay it. 
He came to pay our salvation, to pay for our debt. He came to set up His church. And I believe He came to leave us an example to live by, to see Him. I know there's a lot more other reasons, but I believe those are three of the main ones why Jesus was born, came to earth. You know, we don't really read about Jesus much more after his very early life until he was 12 years old. Now, early on, there were two people in the uh, uh, temple who recognized Jesus as the Savior, and then they were ready to die, right? But at 12 years old, he made another trip back to the temple. By the way, I just want to point that out. His trip back to the temple was a trip to his house. It was God's house, right? He felt pretty at home. In fact, he just kind of hung out for three days. And he astounded the teachers of the day who were trying to, who were teaching. The sad thing about it was, and I think we have to be careful of this today, you realize that the Son of God, the commander of the Lord's army for three days, sat in the temple with the teachers, and they never realized it? How sad. They never, we don't read that they ever followed him back to Nazareth, that they ever went looking for him. When he went his way, they had their own agenda, had their own thing going, worried about their next promotion, worried about their next vacation, worried about they had their own things. They had forgotten about God. He was left out. After this, really about the next time Jesus appears on the scene is when we see him being baptized by John the Baptist. And in Acts 10.38, Peter had this to say, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with the power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. God was with him. It was God. And Jesus started his ministry. And really what that kicked off was, for the next about three and a half years, Jesus turned the world on his ear. He turned it upside down. Amazing things happened. The world's never gotten over that three and a half years. I hope it never does. There's some forces fighting back today, let me tell you trying to drive it out. But it's not going to happen. God has His remnant, and it will, it will survive. But I want you to think about this. Here again, Jesus is standing before Pilate, all these things going through His mind. Who are you? Right after His baptism, uh, He went to a wedding. And He had pity on them. He loved them. These were His people. When they had a problem, he took care of it. Changed the water into wine. Twice, he cast the money changers out of his house. Think about that. When he went into the temple and drove them out, he was driving them out of his house. Twice, he went on miraculous fishing trips. I have to be honest with you. Not much on fishing. Okay? If we sat in a lawn chair or we sat in a, a boat and we cast a line in... And I ain't got a bite in 30 seconds. I'm wondering if there's even any fish around, okay? It's just not something I enjoy. It's not relaxing. It's anxiety. Where's the fish, okay? I, I am not interested in washing worms. 
if the fish are not participating, I don't want to be there. In fact, when I was a kid, we had a little bullhead, uh, uh, the local pond had some little bullhead catfish in it. And we found, we spotted them, probably weren't even supposed to be at that pond. We couldn't get it into our dad's fishing tackle. So I, we ran home, got about a four-foot stick, about a six-foot piece of string, and we didn't have a fish, uh, fish hook. I found a piece of wire, bent the end of it, tied it on the string. We put worms on it, and we would dangle it down in the, in the weeds, and then little little uh, catfish would hit it. When they would hit it, we would yank them, and we caught like 22 little ones that day. Right out, landed them right out on the bank. Every time you caught one, you had to re-bend the hook, Go again. They had a great time. That's the kind of fish that I hope someday I can go <clears throat> fishing with Jesus on the Crystal Sea. I think I'd enjoy that fishing trip. <laughs> you think? When Jesus goes fishing, things happen. Okay, I've read about it already. The uh, 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 the nobleman, his son was healed when he came to see Jesus. Why? His faith. He didn't. He, he didn't even need. He knew. He said, "Jesus, you don't need to come to my house if you'll say it. My son will be healed." And he was. Why? Because of his faith. It was mentioned a while ago. He healed lepers on multiple occasions. He even healed Peter's mother-in-law. That's miraculous, right there, right? <laughs> and I wonder why it was mentioned that it was Peter's mother-in-law. I, I don't know, but uh, he healed the paralyzed. He healed the tempest. He walked on the sea, calmed the sea, called Peter out of the boat. He came across a demonic by the name of Legion. Why? Because there were so many demons involved in it. What did he do? Cast them out. They went into the pigs. Pigs ran into the ocean or the sea. Begs the question, are pigs smarter than people? Because we dabble around with the devil. We mess around with him. They had to be baptized. They had to be something. It, they couldn't stand having the devil in them. And yet, we play around with it today. The woman with the, woman with the issue of blood. Her faith healed her. That's what it was. It wasn't any more than that. She had faith. She believed in Jesus. He fed 5,000. He fed 4,000 at a time. Listen, if you, if you go back and look at the size of those cities back then... There weren't hundreds of thousands of people. When four or 5,000 people came together in that area, hey, there were a few empty towns that were coming out to see Jesus. He had turned the place upside down. He even went to the temple one day and they started giving him a hard time <clears throat> about uh, whether or not he was paying his temple tax or not. He took care of that. Peter was the first one to open his mouth, so he sent Peter down to go fishing. First fish out. There it is. Jesus had no need of money. He wasn't interested in that. That's not what he can't. He, he owned the universe. Why would he need money? But he cared. He took care. He loved his people. He found the woman that had been uh, had an infirmity for 18 years. She literally was bent over, bent double. Just a touch, just a, just a word, straightened her up. And I'll tell you this, it doesn't matter how bad your life bent. Just a touch. God can straighten you out. You have to give Him control. He's here this morning. That's what He wants to do. That's what He's about. And then He showed up at Lazarus. As I mentioned a while ago, when Jesus three days late, He's right on time. 
Lazarus is already dead. Well, that's not an issue. He's got a three-day rest. He raised him from the dead. Give him back to his family. Malchus. He was hated through this. Hated. Not celebrated by the ones who were occupying his house. He was hated by the Pharisees. They wanted to get rid of him. And when they finally conjured something up and came after him, suddenly Peter, think about this, it's kind of funny. Peter wanted to protect the commander of the Lord's army. The one who drove Satan out of heaven. God bless Peter. I don't want to come down on you too hard. But he pulls out a knife and whacks off a guy's ear. In pity and love, Jesus reached down, picked up that ear, and put it back on that man and actually hit it. Why? Because he came to save that man. He came, he loved that man. He had pity on him. He cared about Malchus. He wanted to see him in heaven. In John, the 21st chapter, the last verse, the 25th verse, John said this, the last of his epistle, And there were also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Thirty-seven times it's recorded what Jesus did miraculously. And it didn't touch the surface. It was just a sample. It was just an example. Jesus was so much more when he was here than this. And this is where we find Jesus standing before Pilate. Matthew 27:11, I want to read that again. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him saying, "Are you the king of the Jews?" What a ridiculous question. Jesus said, "It is as you say." How would he have there wasn't, there wasn't enough time for him to answer that. You think about who Jesus was, what he had been, what he had done, where he had been. But most of all, he loved and he cared and he pitied and he had taken care of his people. I wish the story ended there. I wish Pilate had, uh, had fallen down and repented. This thing didn't end well for Pilate. In Matthew 27, in verse, uh, in Matthew 27, a little farther down, it says, Then they crucified him. And verse 37 says, And they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. They thought they'd ended it right there. Praise the Lord, that was the beginning. He did die on that tree. He was crucified. Three days later, He rose. His, his, his disciples, His followers, seen Him many times over the next uh, a few days, uh, months. And then He went back to heaven. And today... Today, he stands at the right hand of the Father, intercessing. He's leaning over the portals of heaven this morning, 
He's looking down here. Father, you see my servant, Tony, poor stammering tongue. Lord, I die for him. He's given his life to me. Bless him, Lord. Be with him. He prayed. He asked you to help him. Help him, Lord. He's looking up there now in each aisle, each pew this morning. He says, Lord, I died for that one. You know their problems. You know their issues, Lord. Help them. Be with them. Heal this one. Touch that one. He also sees that one who's never given their life to him. And he says, Lord, don't call that one today. Today might be the day. Maybe they'll give their heart to me, Lord. I want to be, I died for them. Please give them one more chance. That's where Jesus is at this morning. That's who he is. That's what he's done. I've often tried to, since I got saved, think of a way to praise my Lord, to describe him. And I've come to the conclusion I can't sing. In fact, I sit right over here on about the third seat, and there's a great turnover of people in front of me. Almost a new person every Sunday morning sits in front of me. And I don't wonder why, okay? I can't sing. Couldn't carry a tune in a tin bucket, but I can praise my Lord. I, I've never, I've never, I've never been inspired to write to this point. I can't play an instrument. I don't have any talent. And I certainly got no rhythm. But I love Jesus. I've given him my life. And I came across a poem that I want to share with you this morning. To my knowledge, it's the best description of my king that I've ever heard. This is my king. The Bible says he is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of the ages. He is the king of heaven. He is the king of glory. He is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. David said, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. And no far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the shoreline of his endless supply. No barriers can keep him from pouring out his blessings. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. And he is impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the center savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's August. He is unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme and he is preeminent. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He is the supreme problem in higher criticism. He is the fundamental doctrine in true theology. He is the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. Now that's my king. 
He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call Him. He is the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He is available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and He saves. He guards and He guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And He beautifies the meek. Do you know Him? He's my King. My King is the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He is the pathway of peace. He is the roadway of righteousness. He is the highway of holiness. And He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislatures. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He is the governor of governors. He is the prince of princes. He is the king of kings. And He is the Lord of lords. That's my King. My King. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His Word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and His burden, it is light. I wish I could describe Him to you, but He's indescribable. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you the heavens of heavens cannot contain Him, let alone a man explain Him. You can't get Him out of your mind. You can't get Him off of your hands. You can't outlive Him, and you can't live without Him. The Pharisees couldn't stand Him, but they found out they couldn't stop Him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in Him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill Him. Death couldn't handle Him. And the grave couldn't hold Him. That's my King. It's my King this morning. He always has been. And He always will be. He had no predecessor and He'll have no successor. There was nobody before Him and there will be nobody after Him. You can't impeach Him and He's not going to resign. That's my King. That's my King. Praise the Lord. Thine is the power and the glory and the honor. The glory is all His. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. How long is that? It's forever and ever and ever. I love Him this morning. He's done so much for me. Changed my life. Done things for me I could never imagine. He's my King. The question is, who is Jesus to you? I told you this morning who He was and who He is. But who is Jesus to you? Is He a crutch when you need problems? Do you have problems? Need to feel a little better? 
Or is He your all in all? He didn't come to be a crutch. He won't settle for being a crutch. He came to be your all in all. And that's what He asked to be. Thank you.